Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And uh, when I was a kid, I had like a ceaseless fascination with ghost ships and freaky maritime happenings. Yeah. Uh, And what we're going to talk about today is one of those that I remember always being kind of perplexed by as a child because there was never a good explanation. That will still perplex us a little bit as we go along. But it's still a really interesting story. And beyond its one weird event, there were tons of other events associated with this ship, which is the Mary Celeste. And she's often referred to as a cursed ghost ship. And indeed, her history does feature one horrible incident after another. And while she's most famous for uh, a happening that involves a completely disappearing crew, there's a lot more to the life of this brig. And there, a lot of speculation has swirled around the ship throughout the years and a lot of like ghost stories and rumors about it. And it's made it a, his- a favorite of maritime history buffs. So it all started in May of 1861 at Spencer's Island, Nova Scotia. The shipyard there launched its first vessel, the Amazon. And the Amazon's troubles began almost immediately. On its first voyage, Captain Robert McClellan fell fatally ill with pneumonia. On the second voyage, Captain John Nutting Parker ran her into a fishing boat off the coast of Maine, and the Amazon needed major repair. And while it was in the shipyard for those repairs, the Amazon actually caught fire at one point. On its third voyage, there was another collision, this time in the English Channel, and the other ship sank. And after those first three rough ones, for about five years, uh, the Amazon traveled the British Isles, the West Indies, and the Mediterranean, doing various cargo runs. In 1867, she was grounded on Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia. The damage was so severe that the salvaged ship was sold as a wreck. In 1872, the ship was completely refitted, and at this point, the owners chose to rechristen it as the Mary Celeste. Sadly, the name change did not erase. (laughs) Well, and some people will, when they talk about the curse, they'll blame the name change, but it's like, no, no, it had problems before that. It started way before. So later that year, on November 7th, 1872, the Mary Celeste, captained by Benjamin Briggs, set out from New York Harbor en route to Genoa, Italy with a cargo of alcohol. This was shipped by Messner, Ackerman, and Company. And Briggs was an accomplished captain. Uh, His crew consisted of seven experienced sailors, which were a mix of Americans and Germans. And his wife, Sarah, uh, and his two-year-old daughter, Sophia, were also on board. The Briggs also had a son named Arthur, who was seven at the time, but he actually remained behind in Massachusetts so that he could attend school. On December 5th, 1872, the Dei Gratia, also called the De Grazia, depending on who you're reading or who you're listening to. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I did a lot of research to try to get the pronunciation right, and it splits about 50-50. So. Yes. Uh-huh. It was a British brig that had also set out from New York Harbor. The De Gratia had left about eight days after the Mary Celeste. It spotted a ship which appeared to be adrift 400 miles east of Santa Maria Island. Captain David Morehouse set a course to offer some aid to the vessel and was surprised to see that he was approaching the Mary Celeste. A boarding party, which was led by first mate Oliver DeVoe, found a number of odd things above aboard the Mary Celeste. First being that there was not a soul on board. All ten people were completely gone. The 
Even though everyone was gone, the crewmen's belongings were intact in their quarters. Um, their bunks were made. Everything was tidy. Some of the cabins were partially flooded, but it, it didn't look like they had packed things up and left. Everything was still there. Yeah. And one of the ship's pumps had been taken apart. And the sounding rod, which is normally used to determine the depth of water that a boat had taken on, was on deck, which suggests that the Mary Celeste crew may have been checking incoming water frequently, although it also could have been there as part of the repairs being done to the pump. So normally, just to explain what a sounding rod is, it's a long rod. They would cover it with something like ash and dip it into the pump and pull it up like you would a dipstick in your oil in your car and see how high up the ash the water was so they could determine the depth of the water in the hull of the boat. So in addition to everyone's belongings still being in their cabins, there was also a full complement of rations on board. And Sarah Briggs had a harmonium that had been put on the on the ship, and it, that's a small portable organ. It was completely dry. And the ship's cargo, which was more than 1,700 barrels of alcohol, was intact, although about 300 of those barrels had leaked. The sextant and the navigational tables were gone, along with the ship's lifeboat. So of everything else that was left in place, uh, those were really the only things that were gone. Yeah. Uh, the captain's skylight was open, and there were also two open hatches on the deck. There was between three and a half and four feet of water in the ship's bottom. Maritime experts say this would not have been a really concerning amount of water. It wouldn't have caused the boat not to be seaworthy anymore, but it was there. Right. Uh, and November 25th, 1872 was the last entry in the captain's log slate, which is the the board in the captain's quarters before he transferred it into the, the book log. And it mentioned being in sight of the Azores, specifically in sight of Santa Maria, and gave no indication of a problem. So basically, everything seemed really normal. Except for nobody was there. Except for nobody was there. Pump was taken apart. And... And, like, they didn't take any food or anything with them. Yeah. That's where it gets really weird for me. Like, I can understand that if you're abandoning ship, you would abandon the ship. You would take the lifeboat. You would go away. You might want to travel light. Right. But you would probably want to take at least some food with you along with your navigational stuff to make sure you didn't get lost. So that's where that's very weird for me. Yeah. And we'll talk about some theories on what happened going forward that may or may not explain why they didn't bother with that. Right. We do know that November of that year was pretty bad in terms of weather. A lot of ships reported encountering really rough seas and bad weather. There have also been innumerable other stories about what DeVoe and his two shipmates found when they boarded the Mary Celeste, but those have all been identified as legend, and some of them are really kooky, like stories of half-eaten meals and that there were cats curled up asleep and very peaceful on the ship, Um, a galley stove that was still warm. One talks about, like, a thing of burning oil sitting on the sewing machine, just perfectly, like, the people had just poofed and vanished away right before they got there. Like, it just, those have all been dismissed as as legend and story and having nothing to really do with the reality of what they found. Those are embellishments. Yes. So Captain Morehouse and his crew decided to sail the Mary Celeste to Gibraltar rather than just leave her floating adrift. DeVoe helmed the ship and they landed in port at Gibraltar on December 13th, 1872. In a letter to his wife that he wrote once they made port, DeVoe said, I would not like to undertake it again. 
My men were all but done out when I got in here, and I think it will be a week before I can do anything, for I never was so tired in my life. I shall be aware it well paid, for the Mary Celeste belongs to New York and was loaded with alcohol bound for Genoa, Italy, and her cargo is worth $80,000 besides the ship. Of note, that his figure on this seems way off. The ship and the cargo combined had been insured for $46,000. Yeah, and part of the reason that he was so exhausted, he took two men with him to um, get the Mary Celeste on its way, which is a very small crew for a ship of that size. And that also reduced the crew of Morehouse that Morehouse had on his ship. So they were both really like, that would be exhausting for three people and then a reduced crew on the other ship to all get everything to Gibraltar. So that's part of why they were so very exhausted. But the other thing that happened was that the Queen's proctor in Gibraltar, who was Frederick Solly Flood, was really suspicious of the situation when they landed. Uh, And the hearings that followed Morehouse's salvage claim were way more dramatic than a standard hearing would have been. There were 66 pages of testimony recorded in the proceedings, and the proceedings went on for about three months, which is a really long time. Flood found it difficult to believe that such an accomplished mariner like Briggs would abandon a sound ship, and it became clear that he suspected that the Dei Gratia crew had engaged in foul play to get the ship. A popular part of the story at this point is a line of questioning that happened during the hearings regarding a sword that was believed to have had blood on it that was found aboard the Mary Celeste. But DeVoe had stated that he had seen the sword, but it was sheathed and he thought it was just rusty. Like there were a lot of like sort of faux evidences put forward and then disproven. And this was one of them. While no true evidence against Morehouse, DeVoe and company was ever produced, and they were cleared of any charges, the final award for salvage in the case was seriously low, about 1,700 pounds, which is about $8,300 U.S., all because of the suspicion. Yeah, so it had been insured at, uh, you know, 46000 and they got a pretty paltry sum by comparison. But what really happened to the Briggs family and crew We still do not know, but there have been a variety of theories through the years, some of which are very fun, and some of which are kind of scientifically really interesting. I like the first one the best. It's kind of my favorite, even though it's really goofy. Giant squid or octopus attack? Yeah! It's not very plausible (laughs) at all, especially given the general good order of the ship. But, you know, it was a pretty popular theory. In the early 1900s. Yeah, everybody loves a good monster story. Uh, another one was that it was an insurance scam that involved both Captain Briggs and Captain Morehouse working in collusion. And this one got a little bit of traction due to the fact that the two captains had dined together uh, just before the Mary Celeste set out. I think it was a couple nights before. But since Briggs never resurfaced to claim any such payment and... Morehouse went through all of the right legal channels and, you know, took this very paltry sum. It didn't, that doesn't really play out long term. It doesn't make sense. And another fun one, except really not fun, pirate attack. So maybe, maybe, probably not. There wasn't really any evidence that there had been a scuffle or any kind of battle. Uh, And all that alcohol in the hull was still there. So one would think that if a pirate ship had attacked, number one, there would have been signs of struggle. And then number two, they might have helped themselves to the spoils of what was in the hull. Yeah, and other things aboard the ship. Uh, The the second, or the second one, this next thing has kind of a a two-pronged theory. Some people think it was just a flat-out mutiny that some of the crew members had decided that they were going to 
just take over the ship. Uh, and then there's also another one that's mutiny due to drunkenness that they think maybe some crew members got into all of that alcohol and, uh, you know, got a little kooky and killed Briggs in like a, a fever dream kind of situation. Um, again, then where are they? Those, those people were never found either. And speaking of kooky, there's the idea that maybe everyone had lost their minds from either eating moldy rye bread or breathing all the alcohol fumes. Again, with the fumes, there's a vapor escape theory. And it's possible that the alcoholic cargo was venting vapor and that the crew and passengers had taken to the lifeboat, which they had kept tethered to the ship, to wait for it to finish venting. And then the boat had been swept away or the line had snapped for some reason. And this has become a fairly popular theory I think partially because it supports, it's supported by some of the questions you asked earlier, like why were there no provisions taken? Why, if they just thought they were going to sit in the lifeboat for a little while while these fumes vented out, it would make sense that they wouldn't take all their stuff. But then why would they need the sextant and the maps? That was exactly going to be my question was, well, that, that makes sense in one way, but still does not make sense. In another way, uh, another theory, poor judgment. It's possible that Captain Briggs might have believed the ship was sinking. This makes sense given that the sextant and the navigational charts were missing along with the lifeboat and that the sounding rod was on the deck. But the water in the ship when it was found didn't really seem to indicate a real sinking emergency. In 2007, documentarian Anne McGregor started an investigation into the matter. She found that the previous cargo of the Mary Celeste had been coal and a refitting had been done on the ship. The coal dust and debris from the construction could have damaged the ship's pumps, making it hard for Briggs to gauge just how much water was actually in the fully packed hull. The cargo would have made visual estimation hard to do as well. So McGregor theorizes that there was doubt about whether the hull was flooded, and it's possible that Briggs ordered an evacuation when the vessel was in sight of land on November 25th. So that also is kind of supported by your no provisions thing. Like they just thought they were going to make the quick jaunt to Santa Maria. Yeah. And safety. Well, and you, it would probably be a good idea to have your navigational stuff with you just in case you yeah. left it off course. So that's also another popular one. Uh, and another theory is that there was an explosion from the leaking industrial alcohol. And I know this sounds crazy because all reports say everything seemed very tidy and in order and untouched when uh, the boarding party from Morehouse's ship went aboard. But there have been those that noted that the volatile nature of alcohol could have caused an explosion. But because the ship's contents were discovered more or less undisturbed, that theory has never really rung true for most people. But in 2006, uh, a chemist at the University College of London, Dr. Andrea Sella, he actually built a replica of the hold of the Mary Celeste, and he simulated an explosion of leaking alcohol and fumes using butane gas and actually paper cubes. And when the gas was lit, it caused a huge blast, but the paper cubes were actually left undamaged in his model. Uh, in like a, a pressure wave explosion. And so... His theory is that a similar explosion aboard the Mary Celeste, which could have been caused by like barrel friction of two barrels rubbing together or even a, a crewman's pipe being nearby to fumes, could have easily blown the hatches open uh, and made those on board believe that another explosion was imminent. And so they just jumped in the boat without grabbing anything because they thought there was not enough time. So those are many of the theories going about, though, again, none of those have ever been 
proven. We haven't found any additional evidence. I saw one in passing and I didn't get to read a lot about it, that about a sea quake also happening. I mean, there are just, everybody has a theory. Right. Uh, so, and it's fun to postulate what sorts of things might cause, uh, perfectly sound ship to be abandoned. Yeah. Well, and in a completely unsurprising development, the Mary Celeste was considered to be hexed after that. And for 12 years, it passed from owner to owner and was always hard to crew because everybody was really suspicious about it. And an American company eventually purchased the vessel in 1884 with the intent to sail her from Boston to Haiti. But she never made it to her destination of Port-au-Prince. By this point, the ship had been sitting unmanned and uncared for for quite some time. It was in pretty rough condition. She was carrying an assortment of items in her last cargo, including casks of ale, butter, boots, hardware, and other random sundries. The whole lot was insured for $25,000, and some accounts list the insurance amount as $30,000. So, as captain and owner Gilman C. Parker approached the reef of Rochelois near Haiti, he actually commanded that the ship be run aground on the reef, and then he ordered that the masts be cut away. He and his crew abandoned the ship in what was an insurance fraud scam. Uh, unfortunately for Parker, the ship didn't sink as he intended, and insurance inspectors were able to board the vessel. And they saw that, in fact, no cargo aboard was nearly so valuable as he had claimed. There have been reports that the casks of ale were actually just water, that there were, like, inexpensive dog collars in boxes that were marked silverware. Like, it was just a huge fraud. Uh, and while Parker managed to get out of his charges of conspiracy and baritry, thanks to a hung jury, he actually died not long after the incident. And the other men involved similarly went bankrupt, died, etc., which many people believe feeds the uh, the curse theory. And the Mary Celeste was left on the reef to rot. Yeah. So then what happened? Well, there was an interesting thing that happened in 1883, which is that Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a short story called J. Habakkuk Jeffson's Statement, which was a fictionalized version of the disappearance of the Briggs party. And he renamed the ship the Marie Celeste instead of Mary Celeste in the story. And it published in Cornhill Magazine in 1883, as I said. But many readers didn't realize it was fiction, and it really caused a lot of, like, hubbub. Uh, and even Frederick Solly Flood, the person who had been so suspicious that foul play had happened in the disappearance, got really riled up about it, and he thought that the story would damage England's relations with foreign countries, and he protested it as being you know, hogwash. But he didn't realize it was supposed to be fiction. He thought someone was claiming this was the true story. In August 2001, author Clive Custler and John Davis, president of Econova Productions of Canada, which is the group behind the Sea Hunters TV series, worked with James Delgado, director of the Vancouver Maritime Museum. They announced they had located the wreckage of the Mary Celeste off the coast of Haiti. Analysis of the shipwreck showed it to be of the appropriate dimensions and construction to match the Mary Celeste, and wood samples taken from the wreckage would put its construction in northern New England or Canada's maritime provinces. So the Mary Celeste, as you recall, was built in Nova Scotia. So yeah, and she sits there still because she's covered with reef growth. That actually makes me kind of happy. Yeah. Uh, There's a whole other fascinating thing about this sort of cultural island that's been built up around there that uh, farms conch and, or conch, depending on how you like to pronounce it. It's kind of fascinating in and of itself, but that's almost like a whole other thing. Uh, and so we 
we will never know for sure unless new evidence magically surfaces what happened to Briggs and his company. But we do know where the Mary Celeste ended up, and that's covered in coral sitting off the coast of Haiti. Just, it is kind of neat just to know it's out there. Yeah. Uh, I love a good shipwreck story. Even if, I love a good even mystery. Even if the shipwreck is done on purpose. Yes. Which uh, I was telling Tracy before we started recording, there's part of me that's like, I know he was uh, an insurance uh he was committing insurance fraud, but that might have been the best idea ever for this boat was just to sink it, just ram it into a reef and let it go because c- clearly it just had one horrible story after another connected to it. Yeah, even as a really skeptical person, when I hear a story of the thing where bad things keep happening over and over and over, I kind of like... Stop just, touching that thing. Yeah, leave that alone. <laughs> Don't mess with that anymore. Yeah, yeah. So that is the story of the Mary Celeste. There's, uh, you know, there are people that just study this and have loads of, you know, evidence regarding ship's logs and things that happen along the way. and I mean, it could go on for days and days. It's so fascinating. And like I said, who doesn't love a good shipwreck story? Would you like to take a moment and listen to a word from our sponsor? I would. Do you also have listener mail? I do. Uh, this was a real and for true physical piece of mail that came to us from our listener, Carrie. Uh, and she wrote us a postcard and said, Dear Tracy and Holly, I really enjoyed your recent podcast about the Dowager Empress. Last year I taught in China, but I just had to spend a few days in Beijing before I returned home. I visited the sites, including the Summer Palace. I enjoyed my first visit so much, I went back again in the same week. I've sent you a souvenir for your enjoyment. She sent us a beautiful map of the Summer Palace and so its good. grounds. It's really cool. i got to find a cool place in our offices where I can put it up and enjoy it. Uh, these maps are sold outside the gates and are almost necessary for any visit. I got, quote, lost the first time and ended up walking all the way around the lake. It's quite a haul, uh, which is really cool. I want to do that walk. Yeah. Let's go to China. Yeah. Can I do that? Say it's a work trip? No. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot approve that budget expense. <laughs> Uh, if you would like to write us, and again, thank you, Carrie, because that map is seriously awesome. It is. It, it, as soon as, so I was the one that got that envelope uh-huh. that particular day, and I opened it, and then I took it directly to your desk. Because <laughs> I love it. Uh, if you want to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also touch base with us on Twitter at Missed in History, on Facebook.com slash History Class Stuff. You can visit us on our Tumblr, which is mistinhistory.tumblr.com, and you can also find us on Pinterest. If you want to research a little bit more, sort of, about what we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the words Mary Celeste in the search bar, and you'll actually get an article called How the Bermuda Triangle Works. The Mary Celeste was not in the Bermuda Triangle, but it is often referenced as being one of the Bermuda Triangle mysteries. People just like to lump all the mysteries into it. Uh, And that's mentioned in that article, how it's often included, but it really isn't a valid inclusion. So if you would like to learn about the Mary Celeste, the Bermuda Triangle, or almost anything else your mind can conjure, you should come to our website to do that. And that site is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, 
Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.